Hello, my name is John O'Connell, and welcome to AMX Fika Leadership Podcast. So over these podcasts, I'll be speaking to some inspirational and innovative data and analytic contributors from across industry and the health and care sectors. I'll be asking each of them to share with us some of the exciting work they have underway, which is helping to shape the health and care analytics space, as well as asking some of them their motivational insights into their career paths to date. So why FICA? FICA is a social phenomenon in Sweden, I thought I'd borrow. It's a legitimate reason to set aside some really quality time to catch up with friends, family and colleagues over a coffee and a cake. So delighted, uh, joining uh, Toby and myself today is Dr. John Basby, consultant in public health medicine at Public Health England. Welcome, John. Thank you very much. And great, great to be here. Great yeah, to have, you on. to have you on board. Yeah. Um, and John, I believe you're based in Cambridge. And when we spoke, you mentioned you're leading training and workforce development help, uh, development for the Health Intelligence Division, uh, formerly the Knowledge Intelligence Division of Public Health England. Is that correct, yeah? That's absolutely yeah. correct. Yeah, based in Cambridge when 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 one's allowed to be. <laughs> Clearly um, not returns. at the moment. Brilliant, great. And so, yeah, so welcome uh, to the podcast. It's great to have you on board. So most important question, as we always start off with, uh, Fika's about coffee and a cake. And I've got a, a, a healthy carrot cake here. What's your? Uh, what would you normally have with a coffee, cake, or biscuit? What's your favourite? And that is a great question, um, uh, and it's a difficult one actually, because <laughs> um, uh, there are several different cakes that I, I would quite happily go for. But um, if it's a good one, I would go for a carrot cake actually. Okay, there um, you go. But but I was having a conversation with my wife the other day about carrot cake, and um, sometimes it can it's not as good as um, other times. Put it that way. Um, but when it's good, it's really good. Yeah, great. It's great minds, great cakes. <laughs> great, John. So, John, when we, when we spoke uh, last, you meant, you know, uh, I'm sure I'd be really, our listeners would be really keen to sort of hear about your career today. Because when we spoke, you, you mentioned it wasn't a kind of a, a, a typical sort of career pathway. So, would you just give us a bit of a sort of a pot of history of, of your career pathway today? Because it's really interesting. Yeah. yeah, certainly. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. I don't think it's been, a, um, a, certainly it hasn't been a planned career pathway. Um, so I started off um, as a medical doctor doing um, uh, medical training and then um, working or training to be a GP and working briefly as a, a GP, so general practitioner. Um, and um, I didn't ever join a practice as a partner. I just worked in um, in locum post for a while. Um, I was expecting to kind of continue in that for the rest of my career, but um, wasn't quite ready to settle down for um, the next 30 years. Um, so I wanted to take the opportunity to work abroad for a while. Um, and uh, uh, looking at the opportunities, um, ended up... Um, choosing something that fitted in with my kind of background in primary care, which was working in North Africa, um, running a primary care program um, in Tunisia, in fact. Um, uh, and uh, we were working in the um, the sort of dead centre of Tunisia um, in a place called Sidi Bouzid, um, which sounds very like Sidi Bouzid, which is quite a nice um, uh, sort of holiday destination and you see in all the brochures um, so people get them muddled up and they think we had an easy time um, uh, on the coast which uh, which is not quite true so we were on the edge of the Sahara Desert for four years wow. um, running a primary care program 
uh, it turned out that running a primary care program was actually had quite a big public health component to it. Um, so that kind of stimulated the interest in public health. And um, when I came back to this country, um, I undertook specialty training in public health um, in the east of England, um, which is a five year training program. Uh, and when I came off that, um, I went into a director of public health post um, in Norfolk um, and did that for just on six years. Um, when the opportunity came up to um, move to the regional public health observatory, um, so I took that opportunity because um, by that time I was interested in doing something a, a bit different. Um, and I'd always had a long standing interest in health information and health intelligence. Um, so I moved to the Public Health Observatory um, and um, in 2013, Public Health England was created um, and all of the nine public health observatories across England um, were incorporated into uh, PHE. Um, and so the bit of Public Health England that I work in, the Health Intelligence Division, um, includes all the staff that were brought into PHE from the public health observatories. Oh, well, amazing journey through, and that that, that stint in, in um, North Africa as well was it North Africa? Was That's it? right. Yes, yeah. it was. fascinating. So, what's been your sort? What's been the sort of the, the highlight of, of the career of your career so far? Um, that's a really difficult question because I think there've been lots of lots of different highlights. Um, I mean, obviously, the time in North Africa sticks out as a particular highlight. Um, and and if I'm honest, there were downs to that as well. It wasn't necessarily an easy time, um, but I learned a lot, um, and I still look back on that time, you know, with great memories. Um, it's interesting how one kind of um, as time goes by, you gradually kind of forget about the bad things and uh, mm. seem to remember the good things. Um, so I think that was definitely a highlight. Um, working as a DPH was uh, a great learning experience. Um, uh, but I've been, you know, I'm enjoying working with Public Health England and there have been some great um, highlights there as well, um, including some of the recent work that we've been able to do on apprenticeships and so on. Right. Yeah, that was you know, a good sort of a gateway into because we we spoke as well about you know as a team here looking to sort of learn and shape the future professionalisation of analysts as well. Um, and you mentioned about the apprentice, but good to hear your thoughts on the role and the importance of apprenticeships to sort of help shape the future analytical workforce. John, what your thoughts were on that? Yeah, I th I think um, apprenticeships have got a real place in developing the the workforce, um, and, and it's it's been interesting over the last uh, few years. The apprenticeship landscape has changed enormously, um, so I think, um, well, certainly I had a kind of preconception um, when I started this sort of work, and I think many people still do, that apprenticeships was about, you know, sort of young lads in flat caps going along to um, uh, to, to help their fathers and learn a trade. Um, but actually, the kind of approach to modern apprenticeships um, is not just targeted at um, uh, at school leavers. Um, it's aimed at people at all stages in their careers, um, right up to master's level. Um, and um, one of the things that I was very aware of um, coming into the role that I'm doing now, which is particularly thinking about um, workforce issues for the analytical community, um, was that there weren't really any formal training opportunities. Most analysts told me that um, you know, they learnt on the job, uh, they, they had kind of ad hoc training and different 
um, things. They took the opportunities as they came, um, but there weren't sort of formal training programs for analysts in the way that there are for other things. Um, and the apprenticeship um, sort of um, uh, landscape um, or, or the apprenticeship standards offer a way of delivering a formal training program. Um, and the good thing about apprenticeships at the moment is that most organisations are paying for them already. Um, so you can put people through an apprenticeship standard um, with no additional cost to the organisation um, because the organisation is already paying um, for that training through the through the levy. Um, so that was kind of what inspired us to um, develop a, a standard specifically for um, people in the kind of health intelligence analytical world. Yeah, and, you, and I believe you 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 put together as a, in masters in health and care intelligence. Is that right? The masters that's been that's born? correct. Yeah, yes. Yeah. We, mm. we we kind of identified that there was a a, a gap in the market. There were yeah. there are some existing standards that um uh, sort of suitable for. Uh, data analyst type roles, but none of them have included um, a component around understanding health data yeah. statistics that we tend to use in um, in health uh, or a kind of epidemiology or population approaches. Um, so the standard that we've developed, um, which was a collaborative a collaborative effort right across, um, including people from the NHS, from local government, uh, and so on, um, includes all of those things. And when we, should we watch out for that? Has it obviously been launched? Is it in 2021? Yeah. Absolutely watch yeah. out for it. The the, yeah. the development of this standard is complete. So the standard yeah. was finally approved and signed off um, last summer. Um, and I'm working with um, providers. Um, and the one that's furthest ahead is hoping to be uh, ready to start offering um, places for people to go and do that apprenticeship um, at some point during the 2021-22 academic year. So that's the, the the next academic year, which starts in September. Whether it will be September or perhaps a bit later on in the year, I'm not sure yet. Um, but do look out for it um, because yeah. I'm, I'm really hoping that that will be coming soon. It'd be good to get you on uh, later on as well to talk about that when it, when it launches. That sounds really exciting. Yeah, no, more than happy to come and uh, say a bit more about that when it's when it's ready. So, John, thank you for giving us an overview of your sort of career path and journey. It sounds quite adventurous, actually. It seems as though you went to uh, North Africa to scratch a bit of an itch. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, when people hear this, what advice would you give to someone who is probably just starting on their career path and sort of wants to get into the similar profession as yours and um, things they need to learn, potentially applications such as R and, and other tools they might need to actually, you know, get ahead in their field? Yeah, so um, I think um, one of the things that I've really noticed um, is com compared with when I sort of started off at the observatory, what well, that was sort of 11, 12 years ago, the way that we work has completely changed. Um, so we used to work then off spreadsheets, essentially. Um, so you had to be good on the old pivot tables and, and that kind of thing. Um, uh, but, um, uh, but that sort of served the purpose. Um, these days, we've completely moved um, and transform the way that we work. Um, so most of uh, most of my analytical colleagues um, across health intelligence are using coding-based approaches to working um, and using um, R particularly, um, and also some Python. So I think if somebody's wanting to kind of start out on that kind of 
career, um, then I would really encourage them to um, to, to get some art skills under their belt. Um, and there's lots of good ways of doing that. Um, you don't have to spend any money on it either. There's some MOOCs available um, and, um, and online resources that are free, as well as online resources that you have to pay for. Um, but, but there's a lot of stuff out there. Thanks, John. And, and John, on, on those um, new software tools that are available that are and the importance of Python, which are really you know, coding-based approaches, it's interesting for you know some of our listeners on the call who are leaders for analytics, what you sort of see as the real benefits for, for using Python and R over and above that people think, oh, we can do it through Excel? Um, I, I think there's a number of benefits. Mm. Um, obviously, um, it, it allows you to automate quite a lot of the, the routine stuff yeah. Um, and one of the things that we've done within PHE is try and automate a lot of our routine outboard, um, outputs and sort of dashboard production um, so that we can use the analytical resources that we've got to do some of the more interesting stuff around interpreting the information that we've got um, and communicating that to the people that are making decisions, which is a really important part of the analytical process. Um, so I think automation is is really important. Um, the other thing that it allows us to do is to handle much larger data sets than we've previously done before. Um, and, um, and we're routinely handling very large data sets now. We have a data lake within PHE which has over 60 billion data items in it. Um, so that's not something that we would have contemplated sort of 10 years ago. So something about, I suppose, going forward, you know, the volume and the variety of the data that we're going to start analysing for new systems is going to grow exponentially. But it's something about how do we make that quicker, faster, better by using like Python and R, but then then allowing the analyst to come back in over and actually interpret because the meaning will be a lot more complex. I suppose that's what I'm hearing, is it? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and it also does allow you to um, apply some quite sophisticated and complex statistical techniques quite easily. Um, uh, and, and there's also, I mean, there are other benefits as well. Um, things like reproducibility, you know, once you've got your code correct, then every time it runs, it will produce the same outputs. Um, whereas I'm sure we've all had experiences with spreadsheets where um, you turn up an error somewhere and it can take a while to track it down and, um, uh, and, and you don't get quite the same results as somebody else because the formula is just slightly different. Um, so you can, um, you can address quite a number of those kind of things as well. Great. So John, no, really great to speak, and uh, thanks for sharing your, your, your sort of your path uh, journey so far, which is really exciting, and some of the new work you and, you and the team are doing. What do you do outside of um, sort of public health medicine to relax for yourself? Um, well, one of the things that I'm doing at the moment is um, is learning to fly. Wow. Um, uh, lockdown permitting, obviously, we're not allowed to fly in lockdown. Yeah. Um, although it's perhaps not so bad at this time of year because the weather's pretty rubbish as well. Um, but that's been um, that's that's quite a challenge. Um, yeah. I was surprised at the amount that you have to learn um, before you know before they even let you get into the plane and so on. No short list, um, no shortcuts. They're very checklist orientated, I believe. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I also like, I mean, essentially anything anything outside. So um, I'm quite a keen cyclist, um, right. and we get out in kayaks when we can um, as well. Right, that's exciting. Yeah, and the, the, and the flying is great because it gives you a big view. I keep saying to people as well when they're looking at analytics, is get up and see the thirty thousand foot view of what's going on and see where you can add the benefit. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 
Right. And finally, just how would people follow you on Twitter? Is your your Twitter handle, as they, as they say, um, um, add it to the notes section at the end of this as well. Confession time. I don't have a Twitter account. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm a, I'm, I'm a, a kind of dinosaur in that respect. Um, I probably should. Um, but um, but no, I don't have a Twitter account. But I'm very happy to be contacted on my email address at, at, at PHE. Great. So, and we'll can add that to the text. Thanks, John. That's wonderful. Well, no, yeah. thank you for, for joining us. And uh, yeah, we hope to have you back again when, when you launch your uh, Masters in Healthcare Intelligence. Sounds really, really exciting, I'm sure. Quite a lot of people on the call will be very interested in uh, joining up. That would be great. I'd be, be more than happy to come back. Um, and thank you very much for the invitation. It's been great uh, talking to you both. Brilliant. Thank you. So I'd like to thank our speaker for joining us today and for everybody else tuning in to this podcast. Uh, look forward to seeing you in the future. <laughs>